Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. Does cooking feel like a struggle more often than you want to admit? Do school lunches get boring after the third week and even cereal for breakfast sometimes feels like too much effort? let alone feeding yourself and your family meals with vegetables they'll actually eat? If you're a busy mama like me, you can probably relate. I'm Chris Dovniak, and welcome to My Healthy Mama Kitchen. I'm a trained chef, culinary nutritionist, and mama of two, and I'm here to guide you in making healthy eating easy and accessible by simplifying your meal plan, demystifying meal prep, taking the stress out of weeknight dinners, and helping you learn to cook your family delicious, nutrient-dense meals along the way, without spending hours in the kitchen or thousands of dollars a month at Whole Foods. In this podcast, I'm here to share my best tips, tools, and hacks for your real-life Healthy Mama kitchen with a side of humor and sometimes a little bit of spice. So grab your favorite apron and let's get cooking. Hey friends, welcome back to an extra special episode of the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast because it is episode 300. Okay. I'll admit, the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast is kind of new. We're really only halfway through the first season of the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast, but the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast was the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, and it's been around for over three years, which means we have racked up 300 episodes of the podcast. If you want to hear more about my story and how we got to this point of the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast, you can listen to the first episode of season five. I'll link that in the show notes, but I initially started this podcast for moms, just like the current podcast is for moms, to encourage them to find more balance when it comes to healthy living. And we're doing the same thing now, we're just doing it more geared towards cooking. Somewhere along the line last year, I decided, actually really in the end of 2020, I decided I wanted to bring more of my skills and my advice and my expertise as a professional chef to the podcast to share with you my best tips, tools, and hacks for meal planning and meal prep and cooking when it comes to feeding our families. So we've shifted things a lot over the last year and a half, but nevertheless, the podcast has still been around for 300 episodes, which is a huge 
milestone. So I wanted to do something to celebrate this huge milestone. I'm not quite at the point where I'm having guests come on again just because I really wanted to get this podcast up and running and be the voice of this podcast for a while before I bring in some intermittent guests. So I didn't know what I wanted to do for episode 300 and ultimately I decided I was going to take it to Instagram and ask all of you what you wanted. I got a ton of great responses and I will be using these suggestions from those responses to create episodes later on in this season and in next season. But ultimately, the biggest suggestions I got were Q&As. You either wanted to ask me anything or do a topical Q&A. And I got a great suggestion from someone who was curious about recipe creation and recipe development. So I spoke to her over DMs a little bit and I was like, you know what? I'm curious how many other people are curious about this because I've gotten asked questions about this from people on Instagram before. It's not like I get questions about this every day or every week or even every month, but I was like, who is curious about recipe creation and recipe development. And so many of you said you were like over a hundred of you said that you were most of the people who actually voted on the poll. It was like 87% were like, yes, I want to learn about the ins and outs of recipe creation. So I decided I was going to combine this idea of a Q&A and recipe creation and ask you guys, what do you want to know about creating recipes? And I got a whole bunch of questions. I think I got eight or nine questions, which is a good amount of questions. Yeah, I got nine questions and I'm going to combine two of them together. And so today I am going to take this time, celebrate episode 300 with a very special Q&A sharing with you how I go through the recipe development process. Now, if you are not a recipe developer, a recipe creator, and you're like, "Eh, I don't know if this is going to be my jam. If you are someone who wants to learn more about creating more flavors in the kitchen, bringing more flavors to your food, maybe riffing off of other people's recipes and making them your own or creating your own recipes for your family in your kitchen, this episode is still for you. Or maybe you're just curious about the recipe development process. I'm so glad you're here and I hope you enjoy this episode. So let's go ahead and let's dive in to the questions you asked about recipe creation. All right, question number one. I got a couple questions that were similar, so I decided to combine them into one answer because my answer is essentially the same for both of them. The first is, what is your inspiration? Do you experiment first or do you usually have a plan? And this is regarding creating recipes, of course. And the second question was, how does an idea start? Do you build from a flavor idea, a certain ingredient, or protein choice? So this is a fantastic question. And this is a question I am personally curious about for any other recipe creators, recipe developers. So personally, I am a huge planner, so I never just experiment. But I shouldn't say never, okay? Because sometimes I do experiment. This usually happens when I'm just trying to clean out the fridge and get something on the table for my family on one of our flex days that we've planned for or I stop at the grocery store on the way home from something we've done as a family, and I'm like, I'll just grab a few things and throw something together. And some of my best ideas have come from that. There's a tortellini sausage soup recipe that is on the blog now that was actually a recipe that I created after an unseasonably cold afternoon that we spent at a craft brewery festival. It was like a family-friendly craft brewery festival. So we went out and we went to this festival. We had a couple beers, we had some food, and I knew I needed to make us some dinner. 
And I didn't want something super heavy, but we were all freezing from being at this festival. So I was like, well, we've got some tortellini in the fridge. We've got some chicken sausage. I was like, oh, I've had a tortellini sausage soup before, so let's throw this together. So I threw it together, and it's become a really popular recipe. And I shared it over on Instagram as a reel as well. We've made it over and over again, and it's one of my family's favorite recipes. So sometimes it is from experimenting, but... For the most part, it comes from a lot of planning. So I guess I'll say a combination. But I typically have a plan for the kinds of recipes that I want to create for different projects. And this is oftentimes based on what you all tell me over in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club or over on Instagram or trends that I notice, the recipes that people are searching for more on Pinterest or clicking on on my Pinterest or on Google, trends I see around the internet. So I'll typically go from there. I try to have my target market, so to speak, in mind when it comes to busy moms or busy working professionals who don't have a ton of time, oftentimes like to serve larger families. They want the recipes to have a healthy element. All of my recipes, for the most part, are real food recipes. And so I kind of have that in the back of my mind. I like my recipes to be simple. I like them to not take a ton of time depending on the recipe or have a quicker version of a recipe that might take a long time, like an instant pot version of a soup or a stew. So I typically have those things swirling in my mind and season to season, I have ideas of the type of recipes I want to create. So I might want to create several soups, a couple of stews, Maybe I want to create a roast or a one-pot meal, a sheet pan meal, a salad, or I do sometimes go off of certain proteins. Like I'm like, okay, it's been a while since I've created a seafood recipe. So maybe I'll have fish recipe on the list or seafood recipe, something like that. I like to have variety season to season in the recipes I'm creating for whatever the project might be, whether it's a blog recipe or a reel for Instagram, or a recipe for the Healthy Mama Cooking Club, for a cookbook, for a course, something like that. So I plan for testing my recipes seasonally, and I let the ingredients and feel of the season guide my ideas. So I think if I were to answer this question in short, my inspiration comes from the seasons first and foremost. It's knowing my audience, knowing the people I'm creating recipes for, and then creating recipes based on the season. So I get inspiration from all over. And I wish I could say I had the best system of tracking my inspiration for recipes, but usually it's just in the notes app on my phone. And sometimes I'll just write a quick note if I'm out and about and I see something at the grocery store and I'm like, oh, I can make a recipe based on this, or I'm at a restaurant or I'm driving in the car and I have to pull over and write down a bunch of recipe ideas. I cannot tell you how many times I've done this. And I have a specific note where I just have recipe ideas, but sometimes I'll just write a random note. And when it comes time for recipe ideas, I'll just scroll through my notes. I have an obnoxious amount of notes. I can actually look right now because I'm obviously on my computer. Okay, well, I have 12,000 notes. (laughs) Because a lot of them are just like pesto spaghetti squash recipe. I just made that up. I don't have a recipe coming for pesto spaghetti squash. Sounds delicious. But a lot of my notes are just a quick note to myself, and I go through them, and I never delete them, which is why I have 12,000 notes. However, they are organized at some point. So they'll typically get jotted down in the notes app on my phone when I get inspiration when I'm out and about. If I'm not out and about, I have a notebook that has all of my business ideas in it, and I have an ongoing list of ideas. I will add it to that list. So I kind of keep 
my list of inspiration in two different places. But like I said, my biggest source of inspiration is the season. So this is number one. So I guess this is based on a flavor idea. There are certain flavor combinations that I know I love. There are also often flavor combinations that I know I want to create recipes around that I might not have before. So the seasons are number one. Sometimes it's a flavor idea more than a specific ingredient, though, like I said, I will sometimes start with fish recipe, right? And that's how the sheet pan salmon with a rosemary walnut crust and potatoes came from. I knew I wanted to do a sheet pan recipe. I wanted it to be a fish recipe and I wanted it to be fall flavors. And that's how that came together. And that is a Healthy Mama Cooking Club recipe and one of my favorites I created for this fall. So seasons are number one. I also obviously get a ton of inspiration from recipes I go to. I get a ton of inspiration from recipes that I created as a personal chef, as a private chef. And the difference between those is the personal chef, I would come to their house week to week or every couple of weeks and fill their fridge or freezer with food. As a private chef, I would usually cook for parties. They're kind of the same thing. People have different definitions from each, but... For things like the parties that I would cater, those are recipes that are typically not weeknight recipes, but there might be flavor profiles that I want to bring into some of my recipes or ingredient combinations. So I get a lot of inspiration from old recipes that I've created, recipes that I made in culinary school that I want to make family-friendly, switch up the flavors. I also get a ton of recipes just from what is in season at the grocery store. If I see a delicata squash, I'm like, ooh, how can I incorporate that into my recipes this season now that it's in season? I also get inspired by unique flavor combinations. I know generally what goes well together, but I love to ask myself, how can I add to this a bit while still making it family friendly? You won't see a lot of really crazy unique flavor combinations on my website or in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. Maybe a little bit different than you're used to, than maybe the recipes you've been making before. I try not to veer off too much out of the ordinary. I will in my own personal life, but I like to keep things kind of simple because I am creating recipes for families. But when it comes to overall inspiration, I love unique flavor combinations, knowing what works well together, and then just adding a little twist to it. From time to time, I will also get inspired by different cuisines and wanting to incorporate different flavors from different cuisines, like Moroccan cuisine or Thai cuisine, which is my favorite in terms of flavor profiles, Vietnamese cuisine or Indian cuisine. I'm kind of getting into Spanish cuisine now because I don't know. I love Mediterranean food, but I'm not very familiar with Spanish cuisine. I've never traveled there. And so what I'll do is if I'm really interested in incorporating more recipes from a certain cuisine, I'll do some topical research on the cuisine. So I will go to the library, get a bunch of cookbooks, a bunch of traditional cookbooks about that cuisine, start learning some of the recipes, start learning the flavor combinations, and then I make them my own. It's really about learning the flavor combinations and the techniques, making the recipes my own, making them family friendly, making them either shortcut or a little bit easier, like I mentioned. So if it is an Indian stew that's supposed to simmer for four hours, how can we make that in the slow cooker or the instant pot? How can there be different options for ingredients that are easier to find at the grocery store? So that's one way that I get inspiration as well. So there's all different places, the grocery store, restaurants, past recipes, culinary school, the seasons is number one, unique flavor combinations and cuisine. So I get inspiration 
all over. I have inspiration on inspiration on inspiration. I don't think I will ever have a shortage of recipes to create. There is not enough time in the day or in the week for me to test and photograph and test again all of the recipes that I want to, which is why I'm confident something like the Cooking Club has years and years and years to come of delicious and family-friendly recipes. So one thing I don't like to do a ton of is read a ton of food blogs because I want my ideas to be my own. Now, I do love certain creators and I love making their recipes for fun when I'm not creating my own recipes. So I will go directly there from time to time if I want to search for and make their recipes on occasion, but I try to avoid clicking through them and I don't go to them often. I also don't spend a ton of time on Pinterest. What I tend to pin on Pinterest other than my own recipes are uh, images because I like more inspiration for food photography because I still consider myself a very novice food photographer. I've taken an incredible food photography course by Brahma Bakery and so I'm learning. So I will pin photos for food photography inspiration. But I try not to browse because I want my recipes, even if there's if even if they end up being similar, because, you know, as many varieties of combinations of ingredients there are in the world, there's bound to be recipes that look similar. I still want it to be my own ingredients, my own combination of ingredients, my own methods. And so that's something I do try to avoid. It's similar to when authors are writing a book and they try to avoid books in that genre as well. So I'll go to those places directly. A couple weeks ago for date night, my husband and I made this really delicious pumpkin beard uh, cheese dip by uh, Jessica Merchant from How Sweet Eats. I think I mentioned her in a previous podcast too. She's fantastic, but it was really delicious. And so, I mean, that's what I was like. I'm like, oh, I want a cool appetizer recipe. So I went to her because I know I love her appetizer recipes. But typically, I try not to get inspiration from other creators because I want it to be my own. I have learned enough over the years that I know if I get an idea for a recipe, it will likely work in general. So I can pretty confidently plan for a recipe, even if it's not been executed yet. So I can put it on my list and go, okay, I'm going to test this recipe this week. I'll jot down what ingredients I need to buy at the grocery store. Again, another ongoing list in the notes app on my phone. You should see the notes app on my phone. I won't show it to you, but you should see it. (laughs) Um, This is not to say all my recipes work the first time or even work forever. I love all of the recipes that are on my website and in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club as of now. But I have definitely changed recipes over time, over the years as I've made them and gone, this needs a little bit of a tweak. And I've even taken recipes off my website if I'm not confident in them. I get into recipe ruts, I create things and I'm like, you know what, it's just not, it's not website worthy. It's not worthy of being on the internet anymore. So not everything works out all of the time, but I do have enough general experience that if I get that inspiration, I'm pretty sure that it's going to turn into a recipe. So practically, once or twice a season, I write down all of my ideas, okay? So typically, I do this on paper. So I have the my notebook where I write down all of the, or I gather all of the recipes that I've written down on paper. I grab my notes app from my phone. I write them all down in one big list. And depending on what I need them for, I divide these up on lists on my project manager app that I have that I use. It's called ClickUp if you're a creator and you're curious. So I have different lists on there. So if it's a Healthy Mama Cooking Club recipe or it's a blog recipe, whatever it is, I kind of divide those up and then I start plugging them into my calendar to start actually creating them. So that's kind of my process. Nobody really asked about, I guess you did ask about my process. That's literally the next question is about my process. So I'm sort of starting to give you my process here, but that is essentially what I do. 
I have ongoing inspiration. Once or twice a season, I write down a master list and then I just divide those up and plug them into my calendar. Sometimes I get them all tested and they come out to you and sometimes I don't. And it just happens based on life, how much time I have, how often my husband is around to keep an eye on the kiddos, the weather, all of those type of factors, right? So I have a recipe notebook where I will put my idea at the top, jot down the ingredients. I have a baseline of certain ingredient amounts I'll usually start with for a soup, for instance. It's going to be one onion, about a tablespoon of oil, two carrots, two celery, two garlic, and then I'll add from there and tweak depending on what the recipe is. Some of these things are just things I've learned over time, you know, this much salt per this recipe or that recipe. So some of this does come from trial and error and general cooking knowledge, but that is my overall, how my ideas start and kind of how they go from ideas to execution. So question number two is how long does your process from inspiration to completion take? So it totally depends. Like I mentioned, the general inspiration happens over time. So sometimes it's weeks or months in advance from when I put down that master list of recipes I'd like to create that season. And then when I put it on my calendar until it's first tested is usually anywhere from three to seven days. Sometimes I'll plan a full week in advance. Usually I'm planning for the next week on a Friday. That is when I do my grocery shopping, either on Fridays or Saturdays. So I will plan out what recipes I'm going to test the next week. I test anywhere from two to six recipes a week, depending on what's in the pipeline, what my season is in general um, of life, not season of the year, though that does kind of play in with my husband's schedule as well. But I will basically plan on a Friday write down what I need in terms of ingredients, and then I go ahead and start testing whatever days I plan to test that week. I don't have specific days just because our schedule is so variable. So usually the first test happens three to seven days before. I always photo with the first test because I want that photo done. That's just the way I work, even if the recipe isn't quite right. Now, if it's a total flop, then obviously I'm not going to photograph it. But if it's pretty good, it just needs some tweaks, or it's great and it probably doesn't need tweaks, I just need to test it again, I will photograph that and then I will retest it. I always test every single recipe at least twice, okay? And I try to test my recipes on people other than my family as much as possible. It's been a little bit harder in this season because we just moved and we don't know a lot of people in the area, but I like to test it on other people as well but at least twice. And a third time, if I need to tweak things or I need to be sure that those are the right ratios. Or if I'm filming a video, if I'm filming a reel for it, then that'll be a third test as well. And sometimes it'll be tested over and over again as we add it to our family favorites list. So typically it's twice, sometimes a third time. I will never put out a recipe that's always been tested once that's only been tested once, I mean, because it's only been tested once, which means none of the kinks have been worked through and it hasn't been tested for efficacy, okay? I've, you've probably missed something if you're only testing something once. Please, if you are a new recipe creator, do not put something on the internet if you've only tested it once. <laughs> so question number three is totally related to this. How do you know if an attempt isn't quite right and what are your common tweaks? Well, this one is pretty easy. 
if it feels off, if it tastes off, if it doesn't taste how I wanted it to taste, then it's, I need to test it again and tweak some things. So something that is really, like the biggest thing that I look for is if there's one ingredient or one flavor that's standing too far out. So it's the only thing you can taste. It needs balance. Or if one ingredient stands out as not tasting the way I want it to, it also needs balance. For instance, if I've made a stew and the beef doesn't taste the way I want it to, right? It needs to be seasoned better. It needs to be seared longer. Flavors should be layered. And if it's missing a layer, so to speak, if it feels a little bit flat or it feels like one thing is standing out too much, it needs changes. Obviously, the other side of things is if it's bland, it needs something. Often it is salt, but even more often, it's some sort of an acid. This is why it's so important to salt and taste as you go. Salt should bring out the flavors in the food, and each element of your food should be seasoned in some way or another. If you just dump in salt at the end, it will not have the depth of flavor you want. It will taste bland, it will taste flat, or even worse, it'll taste salty, but not well seasoned. So if I've been seasoning and tasting as I go, as I usually do, and it's still missing something, it needs to be retested. Sometimes it's a little bit of an acid. Sometimes it's a different balance between flavors. This goes along with question number four, okay? When you feel like your dish is missing something, how do you decide what that is? So like I said, if you've been seasoning and tasting as you go, so if I've been seasoning and tasting as I go and I feel like it's missing something, it's one of two things, guaranteed. It's either variety or balance. The other word for variety is contrast. And I know that these two things sound different, which is why I like to use the word variety instead of contrast. But in my head, what I'm looking for is contrast or balance. So there are three foundations to flavor. I did an episode on making your food taste better. It was a Healthy Mama Hacks episode from last year. I can link that in the show notes as well. And this kind of goes over the three foundations of flavor. But the three flavor foundations are taste, texture, and temperature. There's a book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and it does a great way of describing how these four elements of flavor contribute to a really well-rounded dish. So I highly recommend it. But I like to categorize it a little bit more broadly and really break down the three foundations, okay? TTT, taste, texture, and temperature. Dishes need variety or contrast and balance in these three elements. So obviously we have our five tastes, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami, which is that savory flavor. And though we don't need all of these in a dish, if there's only one flavor appearing, it needs balance, okay? So it needs something else to balance it out, or it needs some variety or contrast, right? The same thing with texture or temperature. Whether this is perceived temperature or physical temperature, perceived temperature would be something that feels cooling like mint or something that feels hot like chili flakes or hot sauce. Physical would be the hot soup with the cold sour cream on top or a cold garnish, which also might provide texture. A lot of this taste takes experimentation and learning what feels and tastes good together, but understanding that it's either taste texture or temperature or all three and you either need some sort of contrast in flavors like it tastes too sweet and you need something savory or creamy or salty to contrast that or it's texture or it's temperature 
It could be all three, right? So just understanding that going, okay, it either needs some sort of variety or contrast, or it needs to be balanced out. The one flavor is standing out too much. One of these needs to happen if it's tasting off. I know this might sound like a lot if you're not in the culinary world right now or you haven't started developing recipes. The more you develop recipes, the more you'll develop those instincts to go, feels a little flat, feels a little bland, it feels too sweet, it feels too spicy, it feels too salty, it feels too... And then you'll be able to understand, okay, it either needs a contrast to something on the other side of the flavor wheel or it needs balance. It needs another flavor brought in there. Same thing with texture, same thing with temperature. So a lot of this is simply expanding your palate and learning what tastes good together. The best way you can do this is by eating. It's by trying new cuisines, trying new restaurants in your area, trying new foods from Whole Foods, you know, the prepared food section, just trying new flavors that you're not used to and just asking yourself, why does this work together. So expanding your palate, learning what tastes good together, and understanding the foundations of flavor is super key and something that has helped me from the start. This is something that I learned in culinary school, but honestly, I've learned more from working in professional kitchens, from being a personal chef, and developing recipes on my own. A lot of this can be learned. You don't need to go to culinary school to learn it. You can learn it just by being a student of food. So learning what ingredients go together as main flavor components in different cuisines is also a really great way to learn from this as well. For instance, think about these spices in Indian cuisine. They're really rich, oftentimes savory, and oftentimes spicy as well, earthy. Think of those different flavors that you get from Indian spices. Now, Indian cuisine does a really good job of pairing spices in their curries and their braised dishes with, especially if they're spicy, with either a cream, which balances that spiciness out, a chutney, which adds that sweetness, right? So also balances that out or a yogurt sauce or something like that, like a raita, which brings that cooling element, which adds that contrast. Okay. So do you see where there's those elements of balance and that element of contrast? Same thing with Thai food. Thai chilies and curry paste are balanced with coconut milk, with lime juice, the hot Dishes are oftentimes topped with fresh basil and fresh mango, which have those cooling elements. Fish sauce is added to sweet dishes for umami flavor. Okay, so see where that variety or contrast and that balance is happening within those cuisines. So explore. Be a student of food. And this is how I have learned how to balance flavors better and how to know if my dish is missing something, what to add to it. So question number five, how do you know when a recipe is done testing? Well, it tastes really freaking good. (laughs) Okay, more importantly, it's balanced. So if it doesn't, like I mentioned, if it doesn't taste like any one ingredient is standing out more than I want it to, sometimes I want that ingredient to stand out. I want the steak to stand out if it's a steak dish, right? I don't want the sauteed onions to stand out more than the steak. I want those to work together, but I want it to be balanced, okay? I don't want it to be all steak. I want the blue cheese and sautéed onions that I have on top of there to complement the steak, right? And I want it to taste really freaking good to me and typically to at least someone else in my household. Now, my husband, he likes a lot of different foods. So it's there's rarely something that he doesn't really like. And if he doesn't like it, then it's definitely getting retested. 
My kids are also a great way of telling if it is a family-friendly dish as well, especially my little one, because my older daughter is very adventurous when it comes to food. Now, again, this is why I like to test it on other people who have different palates as well. My sister has a different palate than my husband does, and so I love to test recipes on her. Or my best friend, Eric, who you guys have probably heard on the podcast before, he also has a different palate because he grew up eating different types of foods than myself and my sister did. So it's great to have other people test that recipe as well. One day when I write a cookbook, I will have people testing the recipes to make sure that they are good for a variety of different palettes. Now, not everyone is going to love all of my recipes because not everyone likes the different types of cuisines that I make, and I totally get that, and that's okay, but I do want to know that it tastes delicious to me, it tastes balanced, and balanced, and other people also enjoy it as well. The next most important thing to me, I know it's done testing, is if it's easy to replicate. This is most often in the second test, right? So the first test is just getting that general flavor from the dish. If it tastes pretty good, but it just needs some tweaking, we tweak that in the second test. I always write all of these tweaks down, of course. But what's most important in the second recipe test is that after I've written down that recipe, it's easy to replicate. I have the measurements written down and they're correct, and I've replicated the results in a way that is understandable. This process is actually something that I drew from in learning how to create a research study in college, right? You want this, the study needs to be able to be replicated. So I need to know that what I wrote down the first time, the exact same thing happens when I do that again. So that's really, really important. And that's why it can be helpful if you are writing a cookbook to have people test those recipes as well, because you might have miss something. So question number six is what are your favorite recipes or cuisines to create and your least favorite? Okay, this is such an interesting question because I mean, I I think that when I see a recipe creator, oftentimes I figure, well, they're just making recipes that they enjoy, right? And I enjoy, like I said, all of the recipes that I create, but I don't always create my favorite recipes because I could eat the same things over and over and over again. It might be obvious if, you're, if you've been around my recipes for some time, but anything from the Mediterranean region, that's really where I first fell in love with cooking. My great-grandmother was from Syria, so anything Middle Eastern, I love, and anything from the Mediterranean region, so Southern Italian, Provencal French, Greek food, I love that type of cuisine. I love creating it. I could eat it every single day. Like I said, I also love Spanish cuisine, but I'm not well-versed in it, so that's something I'm learning more about. I also love fresh, traditional, and fusion Mexican food. I love utilizing lots of fresh flavors, fresh herbs, citrus, lots of spices, grilled meats, briny olives, fresh cheeses like feta and cotija. These are the foods that I would eat all day long, but my family and my community likes a larger variety. So I expand and I create more than that. I love cooking and eating Asian recipes, particularly Southeast Asian recipes, but I'm still honing in on my skills in those areas as well because I didn't grow up with that. So I, and obviously, maybe it's not obvious. If you're a new listener, I went to a classical French culinary school in Toronto. Um, So I learned classical French cooking. And we did do a couple months of world cuisine where we learned different types of cuisine. We had this really cool project where because I went to school in Toronto, we had people from all over the world who I was like the token American. But there was a lot of Canadians, but that we also had people from Pakistan and somebody from Ghana and someone from Trinidad and Tobago and 
I'm trying to think of other countries. There were several people in my my little class that were from all different countries. And so we had one, uh, we had one, I guess, project where we had to bring in something from our favorite culture. And typically it was the culture of our family. And so I got to learn about lots of different cuisines in culinary school, but not for an extended period of time. So my background is in classical French cooking. Anything else I have learned by learning about those cuisines, eating those cuisines, traveling to those places, and enjoying those cuisines, um, or just practicing over and over again. So for me, those are the types of foods that I love to create are the ones that I love to eat the very most. And I would never share with you guys a recipe that I don't like, even if someone else in my family likes it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to share it. But there are recipes that I create that I wouldn't make over and over again. So in general, I don't eat a lot of cooked tomatoes because they irritate my IBS. And I do create a lot of recipes with cooked tomatoes because a lot of people like recipes with tomato sauces or canned tomatoes, things like that. So I love a good chili, but soups that are tomato-based or heavy with tomatoes or tomato sauces. When I order pizza, I order white pizza and I love making white pizza, so it has no tomato sauce on it. My sister's actually allergic to tomatoes, so I'm not surprised that my body reacts to tomatoes, so I still create those recipes, but it's not something that I like to eat over and over again. So unless I'm creating the recipe after those two or three tests, I typically, we don't eat those a lot in our house. So I guess my least favorite recipes are probably the ones that don't agree with me as well. Even if they're delicious, I don't like making them over and over again. So um, same thing with really dairy-heavy dishes. My kids love cream-based sauces, but it doesn't really agree with me. So I make them on occasion. They're delicious. I enjoy them, but they're not something I would make over and over again. So I try to have a balance with those. I'm okay with heavy cream, but the kind of milk-based Alfredo sauces, things like that, are things that I don't make over and over again. And the last thing that I don't really love, with the exception of barbecue, is I don't love a lot of sweet flavors. I really prefer savory over sweet, except when it comes to ice cream. So dishes that have a really large sweet component are my favorite. And I also don't really like casseroles. I'm sorry. I know so many families love casseroles because they're so easy to dump and put in the oven but they're not my favorite. So I'm sorry. All you Midwesterners who love your casseroles, I'm really sorry, but I don't love them. They're not, they're just not my thing. So those are the recipes that I don't really enjoy creating, but I still enjoy creating recipes, even if they're not my absolute favorite. Okay. So question number seven, I loved this question and I had to think about it. And honestly, I was like, all right, ego aside, what did I used to suck at? <laughs> so the question is, what is a mistake you made early on that you have now perfected? Now, I can't say that I perfected anything. I, I still struggle with realizing too late that there's a typo in my recipes, in one of my cookbooks, or on my blog. I sometimes put things out too fast and I don't check my work well. And so that's something I still struggle with. But and so I don't think anything I don't think I'm perfect at this. I don't think anyone ever is ever perfect at this. But something I've gotten better at is writing every little tiny tweak down when I create a recipe. So writing it in my recipe notebook. I'm a pen and paper person. As you know, I have a meal planner. I like to write things down. So I like I write down every single little tweak. When I test it the second time, I incorporate those tweaks. And then if I need to, I make more tweaks a third time and I write these things down. I write down every little tiny tweak I make 
and that's really important to the overall outcome. And I write down every single step that I take. It's all shorthand. If you looked at my recipe notebook, you would have no idea how to make that recipe. But I learned shorthand in college, and so I write in shorthand. It makes sense to me. And then I write it all down, put it in Google Drive. That's where all my recipes live until they go on the blog or they get formatted for the Healthy Mama Cooking Club, whatever it might be. So early on, I did not write down all of those little tweaks. I did not write down all of the steps and I missed some things. And so that is something I have improved on. The other thing that I've really come to embrace over time is not going too light on the spices because some people don't like a lot of spice, but I love a lot of spice and I want my flavor, the flavors in my foods to be bold and full of flavor. So it's okay to load up on the spices. Spices are flavor. So layering flavors is something that I've learned over time. And it's something that I believe can only be really honed in on by actually cooking over and over and over again. And then, of course, learning how to write a recipe properly. And this is something that we learned in school, but it's something that I've also learned over time as well. So I'm not perfect. But those are things that I've learned, layering flavors, writing every little tweak down so that I can replicate it, and learning how to write a recipe. There's actually a whole quick bonus podcast episode in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club about how to read a recipe the right way in order to make cooking easier. So if you're interested, you can head over and check that out over on Patreon. Last but not least, the last question I got is your favorite resources on developing your palate. All right, I do have some actual print resources, but I have to say, your taste buds are your best resource. Understanding things about food, like food tastes different when it's hot than when it's cold, so you want to let that soup cool before you taste it, even if it takes an extra second to let it cool on the spoon before you taste it and then you add that extra salt, it's going to taste saltier once it's cooled down. That's the way your taste buds work. So tasting food, trying different cuisines, even if you can't travel to those places, really making it your mission to be a student of food is the best way to develop your palate. And noticing, not just eating, but really enjoying the experience of noticing how different flavors meld together. And going outside your comfort zone, even if it's not something you love, okay, this still tastes good, right? You can sort of tell sometimes when something tastes good, even if it's not your favorite, what about it works? So figuring out, trying new things and figuring out what works together is the best way to develop your palate. So my resources that I love, there is one that I go back to over and over and over and over again, and then two that I love as well. But the one that I go back to and I continue to go back to whenever I told you I make that list of recipes every single season, it's the Flavor Bible. I've had this since culinary school. Mine is super beat up. It's dog-eared. It's called the Flavor Bible. You can get it on Amazon. Actually, hold up. Just stay till the end of the episode, okay? Stay till the end of the episode and I'll I'll tell you where to get it. But you can get it on Amazon. It's less than 20 bucks. Basically, it gives you ingredients and seasons and tells you exactly what season that ingredient is in, if it's an ingredient or what ingredients are in season during that season. And it tells you what goes together. It gives you a whole list of 
this is what goes with apples. It's literally A to Z ingredients. There's also anecdotes from chefs throughout there, throughout the book as well, which are interesting to look at. There are recipes that I would never make in my everyday life, but it's interesting to go, oh my gosh, they pair those two things together? That's really interesting. I wouldn't have known that these two things pair well together, right? So the Flavor Bible is my favorite resource. I continuously go back to it over and over again. The second resource I already mentioned is Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. There's actually a series on Netflix as well, which is wonderful. This will help you to understand those flavor foundations, so taste, texture, and temperature in the, you know, in the lens of salt, fat, acid, and heat. And then the other resource that I like, and I get I'm torn as to whether I like it as much as the Flavor Bible. The Flavor Bible, I mean, it's a it's not outdated in terms of the information, but the book is kind of outdated. It's not as fun to look at, but I do go back to the Flavor Bible again and again. But the Flavor Thesaurus is slightly newer than the Flavor Bible. It goes over the 99 most essential ingredients as per this author, and there are numerous flavor combinations. It's really good. It's a good, it's a good thesaurus as well of ingredients and how they work together. So I would still choose the Flavor Bible over the Flavor Thesaurus, but it's also a really good, if you can only like find one at Barnes and Noble or something like that, it's a good resource as well. So friends, that is, that's, those are all the questions I get asked. And I hope that gives you a good idea about kind of my recipe creation process, how to become a better recipe creator, whether you are creating recipes for someone else. And I know I really took this conversation from the lens of somebody who is going to be sharing their recipes. But I hope that you can, I know that you can take from this, even if you're just creating recipes for your family as well. So I hope you found this really helpful. Before we go, it wouldn't be a milestone episode if I didn't have something fun for you at the end, right? So I would love to give two of you copies of the Flavor Bible. So physical copies of the Flavor Bible. So this is just going to be open to the U.S. and Canada. I'm sorry, anyone outside of the U.S. or Canada, it's really hard to ship to you and it costs like a million dollars. So I'm sorry. I love you. And if you want to enter the giveaway and you're from outside of the U.S. or Canada, can you just shoot me a DM? First of all, I want to know that you're outside the U.S. or Canada and you're listening. I love that. And um, maybe I'll send you, maybe I'll send you a little PDF something. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give away two physical copies of the Flavor Bible. And here is how you can win a copy. Number one, leave me a rating and review if you haven't. You guys, this matters so much to helping more busy moms find strategies to feed their families delicious and healthy meals. So if you are on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a rating and review. If you've already left me a rating and review, you can still enter, okay? You're just going to be screenshotting that review. So even if you left it a year ago, you can still enter. I want it open to everyone who takes the time because I know that your time is limited and it only takes a couple minutes, but I really do appreciate it. And no, I'm not bribing you. You don't have to leave me five stars. But also, if you don't have something nice to say, just don't say anything at all, okay? I'm a human. So (laughs) number two, number one, leave me a rating and review if you haven't. Number two, and if you have, you can still enter, sorry. Number two, follow me over on Instagram at Healthy Mama Chris and at Healthy Mama Kitchen Pod. So follow both of those. Comment on the giveaway post that's gonna be on Healthy Mama Kitchen Pod. 
And I will choose two comments a week from the day this episode goes out. So if you don't listen to this the day the episode goes out, that's totally fine. You have a full seven days. It's going out on Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween if you celebrate. And it's also my little's fifth birthday. So happy birthday, Rennie. So I am going to choose a winner on November 7th. This is 2022. And I will tag you over on Instagram. So all you'll have to do is send me a screenshot of your review and your address, and I will send you a copy of the Flavor Bible. So that's what I have for you all today. Happy episode 300. I hope you enjoy this Q&A. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you as always for listening. I appreciate you so much. Here's to another 300 episodes. Thank you for listening to Mommy's podcast. Friend, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you love to listen to podcasts. You never miss a cooking tip. If you've been loving this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It truly makes a difference in how many other busy cooks find this show and lets me know what you're loving and want to hear more of. For show notes and links to all the recipes and tools I mention, head to HealthyMamaChris.com slash podcast. For daily eats, cooking tips, and family-friendly shortcut dinner ideas, be sure to follow along over on Instagram at HealthyMamaChris. Remember, cooking for your family may not always feel easy, but it can be simple.